Welcome to Hydrate Level 4. I'm your host, Peter. I'm your co-host, Phoenix. And today we're reviewing the 1960 Psycho a horror mystery directed by Alfred Hitchcock, stars Anthony Perkins, Janet Lee, and Vera Miles. A Phoenix secretary steals $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run, and checks into a remote hotel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. All right, let's get it. Okay, um, today we actually have a special guest, uh, Mr. Jameson Rabbit of Real Films Podcast. How are you doing tonight, Jameson? I am doing great. It is great to be on here. Well, thank you for coming on. And I know we've been trying to get you on here for a while, and it's like, what is it, 1 o'clock in the a.m. for you. <laughs> it is. Yeah, two-hour time difference. So I do appreciate you staying up to to join our little podcast and grace us with your vocal presence. <laughs> sure. So that that's my caveat. If if uh, I start to not make sense, just remember it is very late right now for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might have to give you a nudge via uh, or poke you on Facebook you to wake go. you up a little bit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, today we're um, we're doing Psycho. Um, the reason uh, I asked you is because. Oh, I, was it Movie Mojo Monthly that recently did the directors, top yes, directors? That's right. Yeah, and you had um, brought up uh, Alfred Hitchcock on on the list, and uh, it's not—he's not someone I kind of grew up watching, you know, or his movies anyway. But in the um, past decade, I've with Netflix or even Blockbuster when it was still around, I was uh, renting some of his movies and kind of going back and checking those out. And I really did appreciate them for its time and, and his work on the movies. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, Psycho was one of the ones I kind of stayed away from. And I don't know if it's because like it's so heavy in pop culture, you know, the, um, famous, uh, shower scene. And maybe I just, you know, thought that like, well, I kind of, I don't know. I, I really don't have an answer. I'm just really trying to come up with something now. It's, well, I, it's kind of like a lot of times when you have a lot of people telling you you have to see a movie, you have to see a movie. Uh, for me, sometimes I just like, oh, no, I'm definitely not going to see it now. Yeah. Like, too many people are telling me, oh, you got to see it. You're going to love it. Like, whoa, I push back. So that maybe that's part of it subconsciously. That could be. Nah, I've seen the important part. I, I've heard about it. Yeah. Wasn't it in uh, – T Looney Tunes back in action where Bugs yes. Bunny yeah, yeah, <laughs> Bugs Bunny does, recreates that scene he even adds the chocolate into the water <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen that one there but I have not yeah. oh yeah the, um, the one with Brendan Fraser yeah and yeah uh, yeah, yeah Jenna Elfman oh no is that right yeah Jenna Elfman okay yeah, yeah so uh, Phoenix grew up on that one nice. and that was a 2003 movie um, but I don't know I, I think maybe maybe I was scared that it would be too scary because I knew it was a good movie, mm -hmm. you know, because isn't this uh, Alfred Hitchcock's first horror movie? It is. As well, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I'm glad I got around to watching it this time. And, um, you know, who, who better to bring on to discuss someone that um, probably knows a lot more than uh, about this movie than I do. So <laughs> there's, there's some pressure there, but yeah. Well, um, be before we uh, get into it, uh, would you like to tell our listener a little bit about you and your shows? Oh, um, sure. So, uh, like, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, I, uh, I, uh, am on a podcast called movie mojo monthly, uh, with my co-host Brian, we kind of break down on the movies that are, um, 
coming out, you know, review the movies that we've seen in the recent months, talk about some news, um, our guilty pleasures. And um, we have a new episode that's coming out momentarily, I guess, tonight or tomorrow. But uh, like you said, our previous episode was our top 10 and and bottom five uh, directors. And Alfred Hitchcock was my number one favorite director ever. Um, I also do real films podcasts with, uh, my friend Jason, and, uh, that is a podcast that is dedicated entirely to discussing and reviewing and recommending documentary films, which, uh, we really, really enjoy doing. And, um, I think you've heard me and you've, you've actually joined me on uh, sweep the leg podcast with Mr. Masunas. Yes. We had a, a lovely discussion about coming to America on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, last but not least, I also host uh, my own movie review television show called Real Reviews. And uh, yeah, I think that's everything. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's quite a bit. I don't know where you find time to fit all of that in. It's a good question. Uh, yeah, yeah, because I, I know uh, you have some kids that also have some extracurricular uh, kind of things. So, you know, my hat's off to you to to put in all this work and, you know, your podcast and uh, you know, we, we try, you know, our best to, to put out what we can, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, life gets in the way. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, now a little bit about the, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I just kind of wanted to get, uh, pick your brain a little bit. What, what are some of, how about, what are your top three Hitchcock movies? Oh man. Him um, being your, in, in no particular yeah, order, yeah, I guess yeah. maybe that'll help. Um, <laughs> I love Rear Window. I think Rear Window is a perfect movie. Love that um, one. Yeah, I think it's just, it's so phenomenal. Um, in, in a movie where your lead actor is basically stationary and uh, it's very voyeuristic. I, I think that's an amazing movie. Um, I really dig North by Northwest. I just recently rewatched it again for the first time in this, since high school, 20 years ago. And... Uh, that's the one with the scene with, with the plane, right? That right. comes at him. Okay, right. yeah, I saw that a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoy that one. Um, <laughs> is I, I have an issue. I have a, a personal problem with this movie, but The Birds, I think, is a super effective, scary movie. Okay, uh, it, it 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 did things to <laughs> to me personally, but. Um, it really, Dial M for Murder is another great one, and Psycho, of course. I mean, there's just there's so many great ones, and for the most part, they're they're thrillers, you know. Yeah, Vertigo. maybe not necessarily horror movies, quote unquote, but thrillers definitely. And uh, yeah, that's what I really enjoy. Yeah, it, and did you see Vertigo? I have seen Vertigo. I I I enjoy Vertigo. I like Vertigo a lot. I think it's a little overrated. Okay, not um, up there for you. Yeah, I mean, but it's still in the pantheon of it's his still movies. Good. It's great. Yes, sure. Yeah, uh, what was I going to say which movie was that? Um, what I like about Rear Window is because yeah, it's he's in his room like the entire time, right? As he's Basically, watching, yeah. yeah, all his neighbors, and I, I wonder if that kind of uh, was you know a little bit of inspiration to uh, movies that kind of took place in one, you know, like phone booth kind of comes to mind, sure. you know, with Colin Farrell and um, cellular to a certain extent where he's on the phone the entire time, but not stationary. He's actually mobile in that movie. Um, but yeah, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's definitely had a lot of influence on a lot of directors. And I think we still uh, see it till this day, and oh, yeah. which recently I, um, you know, did a review on the remake, which I'm, I'm sure uh, we'll kind of get into a little bit uh, on this one. But I guess the movie was good enough that 
you know, Gus Van Sant decided, hey, I'm just going to do a shot by shot remake of this, uh, which was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and get into it. But before we do so with uh, the parental guide, uh, at the time, it, uh, I believe it was released as TV 14 or something equivalent to that, I believe. Yeah, they didn't actually have actual ratings back then because the ratings board didn't come out until 83. Is this the MPAA? Yeah. Okay. 80, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause what, what, um, Indiana Jones. What was the '84 one? Was Devil that of Doom? Okay, so that was the first PG-13 movie. I, yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I believe on IMDb it's saying that uh, today's standards it would probably be PG-13. Do you agree with that? Um, by today's standards, yeah, definitely. Yeah. By yeah. by the standards back then, I mean that was a that was a hard R. Sure. He had to he had to fight to fight the censors for certain things and. Uh, you know, but you look at it now, it's not a whole lot is shown. So it's all implied. Right. Yeah. Especially like the stabbings and stuff that uh, is pretty suggested. You don't actually see any kind of inflictions or wounds. Um, yeah. So this movie, it's got some suspenseful scenes. Uh, some can be a little disturbing to people, but there's, you know, no language. It's not gory by any means. Um I, I would say PG-13 is pretty good. You know, I let Phoenix watch it, and he's 14. So um, so that's that's basically it. But, yeah, okay, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, the movie starts off, it's um, black and gray bars, uh, swiping left and right between credits, basically transitional. Um, this is something that we don't see much more any anymore. Uh, basically, it, it's a, a part of, of its time, right? Most of the 60s, they, they did all the credits in the beginning, Right. Um, which they don't do so much uh, anymore. Phoenix, what did you think about the beginning? The beginning scene, uh, it didn't seem too different from what I've seen so far, but that's mainly because this was probably one of the first ones that did it. But I thought it kind of stuck out to me because it it was cool. You know, it's not something that you would see every day. Yeah. What did you think of the music? Did you think it was kind of eerie? Yeah, I thought it was eerie, kind of creepy. Set the tone a little bit. Definitely set the tone for the whole movie. I, I agree that the music... I mean, just from the from the outset of the movie, um, the music is a character in this movie. Um, just the whole score, the the, the strings, they uh, they they set the tone throughout and kind of scene by scene, really uh, really stand out. It is one of the better scores I've heard in a long time. Yeah, I I really like it. It 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 is really creepy. It um it made me want to pull a blanket over myself a little bit. It it uh, it was really, really scary. Uh, but Phoenix, did you think it was kind of long at all, or did you think nothing of it? I didn't really think anything of it. Was this considered long? I, well, I... To, to me, I thought it was long, but again, it's you know it's an older movie, and they're they're showing everything. They're not they're not just showing the credits of you know the uh, the director and the stars. They're actually showing you know people that are involved in the movie in, in the production uh, key grips you know it all and jameson don't they show the stuff at the end too they do yeah at the end uh they they re-roll the credits in your uh you know your standard fashion right is, is that something that you think that uh, or maybe you know uh is that something that was kind of commonplace at, at the time where they had to do that in the beginning and the end you know no i i, I really don't know i'm not sure about that yeah okay we get a panning shot of uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and there's a, a, a date, too, which I, is funny because the, none of this is really relevant, right, to, no. to the story at all. So I thought that's really funny. 
uh, we meet our um, star of the movie, Marion, uh, or I guess you can call her a star, played by uh, Janet Lee, and her, I guess you can call boyfriend, Sam. Uh, they're in a hotel room, and we find out that they're having an affair. Um, and she doesn't like the secrecy between them. Um, mm-hmm. Phoenix, did you did you pick up they were having an affair? I, I forget. I picked up something like that. I didn't know for sure if it was an affair because uh, he was getting an alimony with his wife. Ex-wife. Ex-wife. So I wouldn't be thinking it was an affair if they weren't married anymore. It's, it, what it was was it's a, a long-distance relationship. Because she lives in Phoenix, he lives in was that Fairville, California? I, I forget. Yes. Oh, was it California? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, because that's where she was eventually tries to get to. Um, so the, the uh, it was that they they were having a long distance relationship because neither of them were married at the time. So, right. Uh, you know, she didn't have anybody at home waiting for her besides Mr. Loomis here. So, um, but yeah, that's what it was. Was you know, she's like, I'm tired of having to meet in these cheap hotels all the time. It's you know, this is it. This is the last time. We're going to, we're this, you know, basically she's got her plan. This long distance relationship is going to be done. One of us is going to be near the other one, you know? Yeah. You, you know, I didn't find the hotel that, or was it hotel or motel? Either way, I, I, didn't, I didn't find it that cheap because it, it seemed to be in a building that was pretty high up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it was a pretty big up to a high window. But. Yeah. Um, but there's a line that was here. I don't, James, maybe you can um, tell me if you know what it means, but uh, let's see here. He says that when I'm sending alimony to my ex-wife, you can lick the stamps. <laughs> that, was, that was a good, good, good line. Is it? I mean, I don't know what that means. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know if there's like an innuendo to that. Um, I don't. I, I don't know if stamps is some kind of slang for something else <laughs> from, that, from that time. Yeah, I don't. know. Okay, so all right, I guess. Uh, oh, Speaking maybe, in oh, code. Yeah, maybe Masunas can look that up and, and find find out for us. Uh, in the next scene, Marion goes uh, into the office where she works and she appears to um, have a headache. Now, was this something she was kind of pretending to have or did she really have a headache? I didn't. I, I, I think everything from here on is very calculated. Okay. Um, I mean, because of the, the conversation that she has with uh with her man is you know like this is the last time we're going to meet this way i'm i'm going to see to it so she knows everything that's about to go down in this office and everything she's doing i think is very calculated yeah she doesn't have a whole lot of time either right because the opening um shot it it gave us a a time it was like what two in the afternoon on a friday um and what she works at a at a bank right so it, it does she work at a bank um, I don't think it's a bank. I think it's more like a mortgage broker, okay. like a realtor's office, because they're they're selling that they're like brokering that property for the guy. Okay, yeah, because I know the guy brings the money, I and because she she's got to take the money to the bank. Right. Okay, that's what it is. Um, and we see another secretary there, and Marion asked if um, any calls. <laughs> this that secretary is the worst secretary in the world. Yeah. She, um. Well, she mentions that her sister called and uh, she said she would be in Tucson over the weekend. That's something I didn't catch in in the uh, in the remake because I saw the remake first. Um, so that that's kind of um, no, that sets up a little bit, I guess. You know, there, there's a sister and her sister is kind of out of town right now. But uh, why do you think that the secretary is so bad? Is it because of her deal with her husband? Or? <laughs> because you come in, and you're like, hey, were there any calls? 
and she's like, well, I got a call from my boyfriend, and then I got a call from my mom, making sure that I got a call from, like, I don't care about that. I don't care about your business. Yeah. <laughs> Just tell me if I got any calls. Terrible secretary with your personal issues. I didn't catch that. Um, that's funny. Uh, she's like, well, yeah, Rick called, and then my mom called to make sure that I heard from Rick. Like, uh, who cares? Didn't When was it that she – doesn't she talk about her husband, though? Yeah, that's it's something like that. Her husband, or yeah, and then okay, just it's like yeah, that's not what I asked. I didn't ask if somebody called for you. Yeah, <laughs> somebody called for me. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. She just didn't get it. It went over her head. Yep. She was just okay. Um, now her boss and uh, I believe he's a client. They yeah. they come in and um, so he wants to have his forty thousand dollars put into a safe. Um, her boss wants him or wants her to take it to the bank and into a deposit box. Uh, Marion asks to leave after her visit to the bank because she has a bit of a headache. So now what did you think about this client? He made some kind of comment about her in Vegas or there was a line I think um, Alfred Hitchcock wanted in this in this scene. Uh, the one where, that he wanted that got cut. Yeah. It was a little too risque. That's the word I was thinking of, yeah. risque. That, uh, but, but the so so this, the line that we do get, um, the guy was saying, "Hey, why don't you go to Vegas or something?" And, uh, yeah, the original so, line was she was going to say, you know, oh, I'm just going to spend the whole weekend in bed, and you know, because of her headache, and and uh, he's like, "Oh, the only place better than Vegas." Creepy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a creepy guy, and it's funny because uh, I I kind of like uh, in the remake. That guy, I like him a little bit better. Yeah, uh, just because he's a little bit more, a little bit more sleazy, um, especially with his uh, tan. In the remake, is that who is that? Is that I don't remember now. I don't either. I <laughs> actually thought I knew who he was, but it wasn't who I thought it was. Okay, um, because it, it ended up being the guy who played the doctor at the end. That's all. I okay. thought that's who kind of it was. In the next scene, Marion is at her home and she's packing. Uh, one of the things I read was that uh, I, I believe she had a white purse to begin with, but in this scene, she keeps uh, she's packing and she keeps looking at the envelope full of money that's on her bed. Mm -hmm. And apparently, after this, she has a uh, a black purse, which kind of um, is uh, kind of symbolic that she's doing something bad. So she went from a white purse to a black purse. There's there's uh, a couple of things that, that Hitchcock does in here to just subconsciously symbolize that she's not the pure girl that you thought. Because in the beginning, in the opening scene, she's also laying there in the bed in her white bra and underwear. Mm -hmm. And as she's packing and changing, you see she's wearing black as well. She's changed from the white to the black. Uh, and so it's just those little subconscious little things that he throws in there. Be like, yeah, she's not the pure girl you thought. Yeah, uh, but she ends up taking that money and um, and she leaves. Phoenix, what do you think about uh, Marion uh, at this point? At first, um, it's pretty much what you two have been saying. It, it seemed like she was an ac actually the hero of this story, that she wasn't that bad. But seeing her take the money and just that packing up and running away, that made me think, yeah, I don't know, she, not, not, not a good person. Mm. She deserves what she gets. <laughs> Does she though? <laughs> Cold-blooded, man. Yeah. Spoiler just, alert. <laughs> playing too much of that COD. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's she, uh, she's driving and she comes to uh, a stop and she sees her boss crossing the street and he does a double take. Uh, was this because she said she was going home? Yeah. 
Okay, based, okay. Um, and then we get a short scene of her driving through the night. Uh, is this the point where she um, has those voiceovers going on? Um, yes. No, is it? No. Is it? Uh, no, no, no. When it's, she's I, driving? No, I think after she gets after a new car. After she wakes okay. up, right? All right, all right. So we'll get there. Um, the, the the next morning, her uh, car is pulled off to the side, and a, a cop drives by and sees her car pulled over. And he stops, and he sees her sleeping in there. Uh, he wakes her up, and Phoenix, did you think he was giving her a hard time? Yes, but mainly because it was very suspicious that she was just pulled over to the side of the road sleeping in her car. Yeah. Um, Jameson, what did you think? Uh, I, I dig this cop. Um, because with, with very little dialogue and just no emotion, he he really portrays, uh, you know, the the fear that it's all going to get busted right away, right here. He senses something isn't right. She's acting super suspicious. Like, just let me out of here. Okay, I'm I'm leaving now. He's like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the big hurry? You know, right? Um, uh, yeah, I, I I thought it was good. You know, she thinks she's. Have I done anything wrong? Okay, I'm leaving now. Uh, what I do like is, uh, I I don't know what it was like back in the late fifties. You know, but he asks for her driver's license. She gives him the driver's license. He looks at it, goes up. Looks at the license plate on the car, looks back at the license, comes back and gives it to her. All right, you're good to go. <laughs> like, did they used to have the license plate numbers on the driver's license? Yeah, I don't know because Phoenix actually asked me that too during the movie. He's like, did they have that on the driver's <laughs> license? Like, well, because like later in the movie, she switches cars. Right. Like, when, when that happens, are you supposed to change your driver's license? That's exactly. Yeah, right? yeah, I gotta that's go a very on. good point. I gotta go to the DMV. Yeah, yeah. The first viewing, um, and I'm going to keep bringing up the remake because I saw that one first. But, I mean, they both do it. But the first time I saw this uh, on the remake, I actually thought that – I was like, what's the big deal? Why is he giving her such a hard time? She was just uh, – you know, she, she was just pulling over. And I didn't even think about it that she was acting suspicious. And I'm like, oh, that's right. She took the money, uh, which, you know, obviously he doesn't know. But her guilty conscience is shining through, though. It is. She's kind of got the telltale heart beating in her handbag over there. Yeah, because yes. at, at first I was just like, well, what's the big deal? I don't think they have rest areas or there just wasn't somewhere for her to pull her. She was just sleeping. But you're right. You know, she she does start to kind of like um, trying to rush him a little bit and she's acting a little suspicious. Uh, but I think it, it is really weird because he does follow her for quite a while. That was uh, that. It seems like that's what any good cop would do. But it is also just like too there's 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 such things as too much. Maybe following someone that just may have been suspicious, that wasn't probably needed. Yeah, but he goes as far as like following her to the car lot, which stalking her. Yeah, yeah. Which okay, you know he's he's not doing anything wrong, but I feel like okay, from her point of view, the cop is watching her, and this is I don't know. It's really weird because this should make her look even more suspicious because he's watch looking at her at a car lot, you know, about to swap out cars. And but that's the last time we see him, right? Is it, yeah. right there he ends up leaving. So that was really weird. But it does make the uh, car lot owner a little suspicious. Both her actions and when he keeps looking across the street, like, well, why is this cop watching you? Yeah, that's a weird uh, car salesman, isn't it? He just keeps on like saying really yeah. weird stuff and asking her weird questions. Um, and I think he even drops a line saying something like. Uh, I guess she was more pushy into buying the car, you know, when like usually it's a salesman. Yeah, he's like, I've never pushy. gotten the hard sell from the customer before. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So she um, spends, what is it, $700 or seven? Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. Gives her car up and her, trades her car and 700 bucks for a new one. Yeah, not bad. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, right. You know. Yeah, for us, that'd be pretty good. Uh, okay, so after this, that's when we get the shot of her um, uh, driving and uh, a bunch of dialogue is running through her head. Right. Now, was this the real dialogue or was it like uh, – I, I assumed it was It was basically her going, about this time, this stuff is going to be going on. You know, I've been okay. gone long enough that now people are going to start to wonder. Yeah. Well, for me, um, sometimes this is what I do. Like uh, in my head, I just think of possible situations that come out. So for me, what I was thinking about was that she was thinking about what could have happened back at home. Yeah, I I thought so too. I I think we're kind of in agreement. I I thought that this is just something that she was running through her head, but I was really like, okay, is this real dialogue just for the audience, you know, to kind of know what else is going on? You know what I mean? But then I was like, well, okay, well, maybe she's thinking it herself because then, I don't know, it, it just kind of, it's a weird narrative to be playing while we're looking at her. Yeah, also, just hearing her thoughts, yeah. Yeah, facial expressions too. That just, it was, that was just a creepy scene for me. Did yeah. you pay attention to her facial expressions? Well, yeah, but it, I, I thought she did fine. It, I didn't think it was that creepy. I, I, I guess I was more focusing on, on what was being said, mm-hmm. you know, the actual dialogue of it. And, okay, it starts pouring down rain, yep. and uh, Marion arrives at the Bates Motel. Uh, she gets out and sees no one in the office, and then she gets out to look around and sees uh, the big house behind the motel. Now, Phoenix, you actually watch uh, Bates Motel. Yes, I do. Jameson, do you? I do. You do? See, I don't, uh, and Phoenix has been trying to get me to watch it. You should. It, I love n- it. Now, what, what is their um, – do they – are they filming like the same house and yes, multi- it's yeah. it's a rebuilt version. Okay, uh, but it's identical. Hmm. What se- is it like? Season two right now or something? Or? Season three, I think. Is it really? Maybe I'm way behind. I, I just started watching it on Netflix. Uh, yeah, about two months ago. I've, yeah, I've been, yeah, same here. Because like I'm in the middle of season two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe I should start watching it now after after watching the actual movie. Uh, but no, it's really interesting. Phoenix, what do you think of that, uh, that, of that house? The original house? The original house, yeah. The original house, it looked like an actual, like, the stereotypical haunted house that you would see on the hill. Yeah. Like, it was the way it was created and molded and how it looked. It just looked creepy and, sol- what's the word, solitated? Um, when someone's in solitude, it would be alone. Uh, yeah, it's, it, the, 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 the Bates house, man, is such an iconic vision out of this movie. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> as you go into the psycho sequels that they made, the mm-hmm. house is the one thing that really stands the test of time. Like it's, it's still to this day here, man, 54 years later, it still stands there on the lot at Universal. Right. Um, it's, it's still a stop on the Universal tour every time. And it is. It's kind of, just like Phoenix said, it's kind of the uh, the hallmark of what haunted houses look like now because of that. Yeah, I'm sure it was pro- probably an inspiration to, like, the Adams Family House, too. Yeah. You know, maybe even, um, let me see, when did the Munsters come out? Probably uh, they're, they're at 64. 60s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, so that probably came out after. So, yeah, uh, probably a big inspiration of those. Uh, but uh, Marion, she, um, she sees a house and then she honks. And then we meet Norman Bates, played by Anthony Perkins. 
Um, he checks her in and she signs her name. Was it Marie Samuels? Yeah. Or Marcy? Marie. Marie. It is Marie? Okay. Yeah. So so she's using a a different last name. Um, Now, Phoenix, what did you think of Norman uh, at this point? I think he was just really awkward. Was he though? Yes. Mm -hmm. Definitely at this point too. Okay. Most of the movie, probably all of the movie, he was awkward. Just awkward when you see him and met him and then... As you got to know him, he just got more awkward. Yeah. Um, he tells her that they have 12 vacancies, but um, he gives her, what, the number one key? Number one, because, you know, got to be close if you need anything. Sure. <laughs> you yeah. find out later why he wants her so close. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then he asks if she would have dinner with him at the house. Uh, nothing special, just sandwiches and milk. And she says, okay. I thought she was a little too... Too trusting? Too easy. Yeah, too <laughs> trusting. And I don't know, if she is... I don't know, maybe she should have avoided him. She's got $4,000, you know, in her possession, and she's trying to skip out of town. I felt that, yeah, she was... Maybe she shouldn't have trusted him and even spent time with him. Hell, they they started talking all night, well, the, you the, know? The thing with, with Norman is he's... I mean, he's a charming guy. You know, he, yeah. he puts on his charm. You can tell he's... He's awkward, but he's genial, and you can tell the guy just loves – he just wants to have company. You can tell he's a lonely guy, and all he has is his mom, you know, and, and so you can tell that – I'm sure she just felt bad. She tried as much as she could to be like, oh, no, I'm fine, but, you know, it's like, ah, I feel bad for this guy. It's just he and I here, so, you know, like, all right, I'll have – yeah, I'll have dinner with you. That sounds great. And then I'm going to bed, though. Yeah. Know? Yeah, then he goes up to the house as she settles in for the night. Uh, she puts the money in a newspaper, rolls it up, and then she hears uh, Howard Hollowitz and his mom yelling at each other. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what I thought. Uh, Phoenix, what did you think of that little exchange? Little exchange. Because um, she can hear them from the window. That that did remind me of Howard Hollowitz and his mom because you can always hear them two arguing from like someone else's point of view. It's just... That was just funny. Wouldn't that be funny if the writers of Big Bang Theory was like, hey, we need to do that with, with one of these guys, <laughs> you know, because Howard does back talk to his mom like that, too. That's kind of funny. Um, yeah, so he comes back down with a tray of slices of bread and some milk. They didn't appear to be sandwiches. They, they looked just like slices of bread. I didn't see country. like two slices of bread. It seemed like she was eating a slice of bread. Oh, just a toast. Might have <laughs> just, here's some, here's some <laughs> wonder bread. She's on a diet. This is all mom would let me bring down. Yeah. Uh, he apologizes for his mom and uh, says she's not quite herself. And then they go eat in the office. Uh, Norman comments that she eats like a bird, but also tells her uh, he doesn't know anything about birds, that he only stuffs them. Now, this is when I thought he was really weird because I didn't know that um, this was a thing about Norman, that he was, I guess, a taxidermist. You find that out in the uh, TV show. Uh, Oh, like how it originates? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But, um, uh, yeah, I've always seen, like, the picture of him in that room with the the big old black bird Mm -hmm. behind him. Uh, Jameson, is that... um, like similar to the bird from birds. It's or? funny because he because Hitchcock does a lot with the birds, especially in this in the scene in the parlor, showing the birds and he the, the way he shoots them so it looks like they're they're swooping down. Right. And uh, he mentions you eat like a bird and all this stuff. And 
And it all was kind of subconscious. It's funny, but he was thinking about this. It was all subconscious because his next film was was The Birds. He knew he was making The Birds next. So he loved to just tie little things together like that. And so that was that was kind of part of it. It was like, ah, let's let's show these, let's use this. It'll be in people's minds hopefully when the next one comes out. Oh, I I I don't know why, but I actually thought Birds was before this. Nope, that was his next movie. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very interesting. I, I recently listened to a podcast that they were pointing out uh, Christopher Nolan had some bat motifs in some of his movies and yes. he ended up doing the uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. Nope. Uh, yeah, so they have a pretty lengthy talk and she finds out that, you know, he's got this affection for his mom, obviously. Oh, let's let, – there are yeah. some of the greatest lines in the movie in, in this scene as they're sitting there having dinner because it's the, really the only time that Norman – has a regular normal conversation with anybody. Yeah. And he he has that iconic line that comes out of this. We all go a little mad sometimes. There's that Ooh, one. That's one. No, I, I know which one. Go ahead. Where he says, a boy's best friend is his mother. And he just says it like nonchalant, like uh, everybody knows. A boy's right. best friend is his mother. And like, yeah. she's like, hmm, that's okay. You know, and, and he kind of tells the story of how his – his stepdad died in a mysterious way, but that's all I want to say about that. You know, like yeah, then he died, and anyways, and and then the creepiest line when he says, "And you know, a son is a poor substitute for a lover." Like, right? Oh no, <laughs> this, this whole conversation's gone sideways. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, definitely caught me. It made me raise my eyebrows. I was like, "Wait, wh- why would he compare?" <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, no, it, it, I'm sure it made her a little uneasy. Um, but yeah, he goes on to say that he hates what she's become and says that she has like an illness, right? That he hates that illness. Yeah. And then I, did he mention something about putting her in place or did Marion bring that up? She was like, well, you know, and she was trying to be nice, but you know, she's like, well, you know, why don't you put her somewhere so you can kind of live your own life? And this is when you see his shades of anger suddenly come out, you know? Yeah, he gets offended because, you know, it, because he um, kind of takes it, well, I guess like an insult because he, he kind of compares it to like, a you know, being a, like a madhouse, right? Be, yeah, being like an institution. he gets very offended by that comment and, and you can see him quickly, that, that kind of the anger come over him and then you see him try and blow it off. But the thing I love about the scene is, you know, both of these people, they both have secrets. Yeah, and they're both trying to have small talk and put on a nice front, but they both have very, very dark secrets <laughs> that they're trying to hold back right now from each other. Yeah, I think Anthony Perkins does a really good job in the scene. You know, um, everything from his delivery, facial expressions, and all of that. I, I I really believed him to be this character. You know, where some people, if they don't play it correctly, they just they don't come out. You know, come off as organic. He's, he's really great at just the subtleties of of Norman Bates. He doesn't have to be over the top. There's the subtle little changes that you can pick up on his mood, and the and the the, the music helps that. Um, helps kind of you pick up on like suddenly he's not so happy. I mean, he's not yelling, he's not ranting and raving, but there's just subtle little changes that he uses, especially facially, that that are just phenomenal. That are I don't a lot of guys can't do. Yeah. And so this is when uh, he catches her in a lie, right? Yeah. Cause she, yeah, she mentions that she's uh, going to go back to Phoenix. And while Norman was telling her goodnight, 
she uh, she calls herself Crane, right? Because he's like, yes. oh, Miss, and then she says Crane. Uh, so after she leaves, he uh, checks the, what the sign-in book and sees that her last name was uh, that she wrote down Samuels, and that she also wrote she was from um, Los Angeles as her home. Um, so he then goes to uh, look at her undress from a peephole that he has in the wall. What uh, was it? This is in the parlor still, right? Was this um, like a closet in the parlor? It was just it was just there uh, behind oh, the picture. He moves the picture. Right. You know that's why he put her in room number one uh, to keep her close. And yeah, we find out that we've got a peeping tom with issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Uh, now I, I did ask you earlier, but you said you kind of wanted to save some of your thoughts of the remake for the end. Okay, yeah, but I know what you're going. We're going with on this one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in the remake, they show uh, they show Norman pleasuring himself during the scene. Yeah, we. It's, it's even, very heavily insinuated. Yeah. Well, it, you even hear it. Right. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. So, I, as I understand, it, a lot of people were very upset about that. Uh, what? What are your thoughts about that? I think it's I think it's just stupid to, that you don't have to put it in there because it's you know why he's doing this. If he, it's not like he accidentally was catching a glimpse of this lady. He has a pre-drilled hole and he put the lady in the room without her knowing. You know what his intentions are. You don't always have to show it, and that's what that's one of the things about Hitchcock that's so great is you don't have to always show it because the audience isn't dumb. You know, they know what what is going on. And so, yeah, I remember when I watched the remake, I was like, really? I, I don't know. It yeah, just seemed it, unnecessary to me. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, okay, well, that makes sense because he's, you know, sick in the head, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. But then after watching the original, I was like, well, why couldn't you just do it like that? That was fine. I was like, why did you even add that? So I don't need to hear those wet sounds coming from off screen. Yeah. So, I mean, and just like you said, I, after watching the original, I was like, well, that was unnecessary. You know, Gus Van Sant said he's going to do a shot by shot. Exactly. Why are you, why are you adding this if it's not going to add any substance to the scene? Exactly. You know? It just seemed gratuitous. If your whole basis is I'm going to do a shot for shot, then do a shot for shot. Don't add in extra scenes because, well, I feel like this would be, you know, oh, yeah. stick with it. Yeah, so you know, so I I I'm kind of on the side with everybody else at that point. Like that was that was definitely not needed. Uh, but yeah, at, at first I was kind of like, ah, oh, well, that makes sense. But mm -hmm. yeah, agree. He um, yeah, he has a look of suspicion, and then he walks all the way back to the house and sits in the kitchen. Uh, Marion is doing some math on a piece of paper, um, which she, she's working what, out some numbers. Yeah, deducting what she's already spent of the you know forty uh, forty thousand. Which yeah, which makes yeah. me laugh because she's only spent seven hundred dollars, right? She's only done bought the car. And Did she pay for the room yet? I don't think so. I don't you know I don't remember her reaching into her purse. You know, cause right. she, she would have had to been all mysterious about you know getting this wad of money out of her purse, if, you know, right. seen so I don't know what kind of math she had to do. If she doesn't, she can't figure out. I had 40,000. I spent 700. <laughs> All right, let's do some long division here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my eight year old knows how much is left over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she then tears up the paper and flushes it down the toilet um, and at this point, I was just like, oh, that's not going to flush all the way down, you know, and, you know, that's exactly kind of what happens. But that's spoiling a little bit already. Now, did you uh, know, though, the hmm. uh, the little bit of trivia about the toilet flushing? 
It was the very first one ever on TV or uh, in the movies. Yes, the, the scene. Flushing. Mm-hmm. The scene was written specifically because the guy who was uh, who was scre- writing the screenplay said, "I want to I want to show a toilet flush. Nobody's ever done that." <laughs> and Hitchcock said, "If you can make it work in the scene and, and it doesn't seem like out of out of place, we'll do it." So he wrote the. That's, that's the whole reason she had to do her little quick math and then tear up the paper was no. to transition to getting that toilet to flush. Can you imagine though Hitchcock's like w- she's doing subtraction forty thousand with seven hundred dollars? Right. All right. Well, you'll get your toilet scene, sure. You got it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the famous shower scene, right? Oh man. Do you want to talk us through this? Is there any more of like an iconic scene in movies than this? I mean, whether you've seen the movie or not. Yeah, the, the the biggest thing was that, um, you know, and people always kind of, when they watch Scream, they reference Psycho, you know, right. like Drew Barrymore. You have uh, Janet Lee, who I, I to be honest, I, I know nothing about, but apparently she was a big star, yeah. uh, a big get for the movie. And, you know, the killer, what, how long is it into the movie at this point? We're like 15, 20 minutes, if that. Yeah, 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah, so already we we kill her off. So kind of yeah, that was the big the big thing was that I mean she was the the big face on the poster. She mm-hmm. was the selling point, and it was Hitchcock throwing the red herring out there, like, oh yeah, she's been great. You know, he did that with a couple of things in this movie to uh, throw audiences off. But I mean, you 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 know, she's in the shower, getting all cleaned up, ready for bed, and you see the. Through the curtain, you see uh, the door open and a figure appear in the bathroom. And you're like, oh, who's this? You know, and as it gets closer and closer, you realize, oh, man, that's the mom. And then, I mean, the, the music kicks in, that piercing mm-hmm. violin strings as, I mean, with every with every stab of the knife, you know, and just her screaming. Oh, it's just it's an incredible scene. It's a scene that affected an entire generation of people. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, it, I remember my mom telling me, "Oh, I couldn't, I could not take a shower for a long time after seeing Psycho when I was a kid." Like, eh. well, gosh, I mean, I, I read that uh, in Janet Lee uh, after seeing this on film, she uh, went on to take baths only, right, <laughs> for the rest of her life is, is what I read. Uh, it's just, but it's shot so beautifully, so perfectly, all the angles that they use and the, you know, the the it's the quintessential way of showing how to show something without showing anything. Yeah, I think he did a really good job. I mean, this, um, you know, this, this calling this a, like a masterpiece, I, I, I think is even underselling it. I mean, he chose to do this movie in black and white, which mm-hmm. I didn't even know. Um, I was, I was surprised cause I, I don't know. I guess I never really think of, uh, when the cutoff time was when, yeah. you know, it, color I mean, and black and white. And it was I, – I was actually surprised too when I found out about that that, that he made that choice because I just assumed that that was the technology at the time still, that it was it was on the cusp of color coming in. Right. But uh, yeah, he, he made the choice and it's uh, – yeah, I couldn't imagine it looking any better in color. Yeah, no, it, it really works. And um, one of the things I read that the reason he chose to go with black and white because it was in color – this particular scene, it would have been that much more gory, right. you know, seeing the red blood and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, one of the well-known trivia is, yeah, they use chocolate syrup, right. you know, in the water to make it uh, look like blood. But Phoenix, what did you think of the scene? The scene was very, obviously very iconic to me. Um, I haven't seen this before, but I've seen 
this snippet many, many, many times. So the, it's, the Bugs Bunny one. Yeah, the Bugs Bunny one, <laughs> obviously. And this one too. Um, so this was kind of spoiled for me. But um, seeing it the first time, I remember it was very creepy. Um, was disturbing? Not no. not disturbing. The ring was disturbing, but this is creepy. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just this this scene was really good to me. I don't I don't I can't explain it. I, I think it's funny that you said that. Uh, you know, you you've been spoiled from seeing it, like you know, it, just in pop culture in general. Mm-hmm. But but it does it does not spoil anything at all. I, I don't mm-hmm. think, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the funny thing. I, I just mean it spoils the scene for me. Yeah, like right. I already know what happens. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, we're we're at what fifty four years this movie's been out, mm-hmm. and like y- you and I, the only thing we've known is basically the shower scene, and and Mrs. Dalfire drops a line about you know uh, him looking like Norman Bates, you know, dressed <laughs> as his mother. So you know, we knew you know some things about it, but obviously, uh, from knowing that information, I don't think it spoiled the movie for us at all. So we were still able to enjoy it, basically. Excellent. Oh, the one thing I wanted to point out that I think this um, obviously, you know, does better than the remake. Um, but when we see the the silhouette of Mother, I, I don't know if it was the lighting or what, but I don't know if it's just me, but it seemed as though that you were able to see the eyes. As, as she almost pressed up against the shower curtain? Uh, I don't know if it was that or after the curtains were pulled off. Mm. It just well, I don't know because there was one point I remember seeing the silhouette and and you couldn't make out anything but the white of the eyes, hmm. which I found very very creepy. Uh, so maybe that's something you might want to check up on YouTube and just kind of see. It could have been me, but I was just like, wow, that was pretty cool. I don't know how they did that. I mean, I'm sure they could have done something to the film to kind of lighten that, you know, the, the eyes to make it that much creepier, sure. make it look like a little apparition. We pan over to the house and Norman shouts out, oh, mother, blood, blood. So we're assuming that he sees mother covered in blood. Um, He runs through the house to see a a dead Marion and he can't stand the sight of it. Um, He's kind of holding his mouth, looked like he was gagging. Um, He goes over to the office and shuts off all the lights, goes back over to the crime scene and cleans it up. Now, uh, from the scene, Jameson, do you think this was his first time having to clean up? He, like I mean, he, he looked disgusted by seeing her there, but then it was when he got over that initial thing, it was very much business as usual. Like, okay, I'll take the shower curtain, I'll lay that down, that's what I'm going to put the body in. There's the mop, here's the bucket. This is what I do. And you know, he just went about his business cleaning it up. And that's when you're kind of like, has he had to clean up her messes before? Like his, yeah. mother, his mother killed before, because there's there's really no hesitation to to what he's doing. Right, he he's not staying there. Okay, what what am what am I doing next? Oh, right, no, he knew, and he yeah. you know, and he gets he gets everything. He makes Marion disappear. I mean, he he knows exactly what he needs to do, what he needs to do with her, what he needs to do with her things. Everything is there's no hesitation at all, like you say. Yeah, Phoenix, do you have any thoughts on his cleanup? Um, no, not too much. Just that, uh. I don't know. Seeing seeing the show actually kind of spoiled some things for me because it just made it seem like this movie was a sequel rather than a, <laughs> an original. Oh, I, oh, did they did, like the whole cleanup stuff? The whole or? cleanup stuff and oh, really? a lot of other things. Yeah, oh. you've got to watch the show. Okay. Um, so, so these days, that cleanup would have done nothing. You know, right. you, you watch it now and you're like, I, I watch CSI and all these shows, and like, oh, just one simple blacklight would come in and show a murder scene in here. 
Well, especially since he's smearing blood all over the floor, you know, as he's cleaning it up. I don't think he needs bleach. They probably didn't have. Well, I'm sure they have bleach. They have bleach, but he didn't. He didn't care. He just needs to clean it up. Somebody else will stay there tomorrow night. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he takes the car and rolls it into the swamp, I guess, which is, I don't know, behind the house or somewhere close. Uh, So we go to a hardware store, and this is where Sam lives, right? I think he lives in in the room or something. At the at the store, yeah, they don't really, yeah, they don't really say if he if he runs the place or if he just kind of lives there. Yeah, he's there yeah. though. Yeah, so he's he's in the back writing a letter, and the lady comes in, and we find out that she's uh, Marion's sister, Lila. Mm-hmm. Uh, she thinks Sam was uh, in on the disappearance of um, Marion. Well, not really the disappearance, but she thought that you know they're in on it together to disappear. Um, so I guess she's you know back from Tucson. And we also meet Arbogast, who is a private eye. And I was was he following Lila? This I think he was right following Lila. Or was I think he, following, he yeah. was he was sent by by um, Marion's boss. You know the money's missing. Marion hasn't turned right. up now, um, and so he was hired to track her down. So obviously, the first people you go for is her sister and her, you know, her guy. You know. Let's. I'm sure she's here. I'm sure she ran to one of them, and you know he would be right if if she would have made it that far. You know the movie would have been over if she wouldn't have stopped at the hotel. But at the motel. But um. So yeah, he's he's hired. He's like, all right, where is she? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, he he even knows that the boss did see her in the car too. Right. Which I, I think at that point the boss probably said, hey, I, I think she was skipping town, and that kind of explains the double take earlier. Uh, Phoenix, what do you think of this uh, private investigator? I don't. F- I feel like the private investigator was needed mainly because we only saw him. Well, probably shouldn't say anything about that. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like Sam and the sister could have done more, or they did do a lot more than the private investigator did. Anyway, he just—it was kind of like um, was it just he? Was, he just wasn't needed for well, in, my t- in my opinion. Okay, well let's. Um... I guess we can kind of go ahead and go there now, but Arbogast, he, he goes to the Bates Motel. This is where I felt like, oh, he was necessary because, you know, he, he's doing his private investigating. You know, he, he sees Norman, um, who's sitting on the porch eating a bag of candy, uh, and they go inside, and this is where Arbogast, you know, asks him a bunch of questions. And um, Norman recounts his night, Marion, uh, wait, Jesus, what was I saying there? <laughs> Norman recounts his night. Marion came in. That's Does that sound right, saying. Jameson? That was what he was saying. Oh. So, yeah, first he, he, he denies even, oh, I don't even know. Well, why don't you look at the picture? You know, yeah. like, no, nobody's been here in weeks, so no point in even looking at your picture. Like, well, just look at the picture. You never know. And it looks like, yeah. nope, nope, never seen her before. No idea. And and he, it, it's under this questioning, I mean, that as Arbogast is kind of just questioning him, doing his job. Norman starts to develop these nervous tics. He starts to kind of lose his his kind of assured demeanor that he's had, you know, throughout the movie. And you see him starting to kind of starting to kind of sweat, and his stories don't all match up, you know. No, nobody's been here in weeks, and then suddenly, oh yeah, a couple was here the other night, and they said they didn't because the sign was off, and they said they, they no, we were opening. He's like, oh, so somebody was here the other night. It hasn't been a couple of weeks. Oh no, but I mean, yeah, oh, you know, and then. 
Well, let me just look at your, uh, let me look at the sign-in book. Oh, no, no, no need. No, no, you see his, he's falling apart in his, where he was so good earlier at knowing exactly what he had to do. He's done this before you think, you know, he's cleaned up and now he's kind of on his heels. I guess has him on his heels for the first time. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very um, unconvincing at first, and obviously uh, he starts to backpedal a lot of the things he says. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was really funny because he didn't even look at the picture before saying, nope, no, no, nobody's yep. been here. I'm like, dude, that's your first mistake right there. Look at the picture, you yeah, know, just, like, just look. Just placate him. Yeah, oh, nope, never seen her. Done. But you look really weird. You're like, no, 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 don't even, you can go now, you know, and. I think it's funny when uh, how he he gets so caught off guard when Arbogast asks him like, "Hey, is anybody home?" He's like, "No." Oh, the, the house, yeah, yeah. He's like, "No." He's like, "I saw somebody up there," and and you see again for the second time in the movie, you see Norman's attitude shift suddenly. Yeah, when any mention of his mother is brought up, and you start to see. I mean, you know, off the weird comments that he had earlier in the parlor with Marion about her and. And how he reacted when she said something about his mother, and now Arbogast says something about her, and you see that he 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 gets this sudden shift in attitude and very defensive about her. Yeah, he even volunteers information, which is you know if you were Norman, you should not be doing because <laughs> I forget the actual line, but he he basically says um, something about his mother and and Marion. Um, do you know which line I'm talking about where he kind of outs himself to, as to, oh, you know, oh, your mom saw her, you know, can I oh, talk to your right. mom? Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so that part, like Norman, sh- shut up, <laughs> you know? So yeah, he basically gave it away that, okay, yeah, his mom, um, had seen her. So, so now Arbogast is kind of like, okay, well now I want to talk to your mom and they get into this whole thing where, yeah, Norman's not going to let him go up there without a warrant. Right. So, so yeah, um, and now I, I thought this was funny because in the next scene, Arbogast, uh, he goes to the telephone booth and tells Lila everything that we just heard. You know, right. the, the entire dialogue. So just <laughs> Pretty gotta, much. Yeah, and then he said everything. this and then I said this. And then <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, so it's, it's like she's not even uh, asking him the questions. He, he's kind of like uh, just – you know, say, saying, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's pretty funny, but um, I don't know. I guess it's fine. Well, and uh, Norman really kind of tips his hand, too, when, I mean, as he's going between kind of uh, being defensive and kind of trying to be affable and, and, and being that that charming guy that he tries to be. And, you know, he's, he tells everybody else, like, hey, if you want, you know, he's like, she's hiding in one of these rooms, isn't she? You have her here. And he's like, I, you want to come change all the linens with me? Let's go. And he's like, sure, let's do it. And so right. Norman, you know, Norman goes to room number one, the scene of the crime, and kind of hesitates at the door handle. Uh, let's start with room number two. And I was <laughs> like, whoa, 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 that doesn't look good at all, you know? Right. Now, Phoenix, do you still think that he was unnecessary after this? Because he's probing for these questions. So if, like, Lila, Lila wouldn't even know to have stopped by Bates Motel, I, I don't think. Well, yeah, but um, Lila, you know, She's really pushy, in my opinion. I think that she would have gotten what she wanted in the end. But because, um, you know, since since she's pushy, she asks a lot of questions. She's impatient, so she would ask a lot more things on Norman and pressure him. Well, but here's the thing. How would she have known to talk to Norman, though? Do what he did. Yeah, but see, she was talking with um, 
uh, talking with Sam and they got information from uh, our Arbogast about the boss and the whole 40,000 thing. So without Arbogast, they wouldn't have known that. Um, that I, don't, but I don't think that – I mean you see how Norman reacts a little bit later when he is confronted with, with Loomis and Lila. And you see how he kind of controls that situation. Arbogast – is somebody who who is aggressive, who carries a sense of authority about him, and you see how that affects Norman. Norman gets kind of a little shaken when when pressed, and that's kind of what he brings to the table is to is to press him, to shake him. Arbogast immediately senses something's not right, you know, like this. I'm not moving on from this lead, you know. And you see, he's hit every motel on on the route, you know, between Phoenix and Fairville. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I. I think it's funny that Phoenix thinks that Lila was a little pushy in this one because it, that's kind of the thing with the remake, right? Because Julianne Moore pl- plays her pushy. And um, I guess it's kind of been said that uh, Vera Miles, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that, that she's not as, um, you know, kind of a little bit more or a little little less pushy than, than Ju- she's She's bossy with Loomis, but I don't see that when, you know, with with Norman. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when they do meet Norman, she's she kind of just hangs out and lets you know lets uh, Sam do all the talking, right? But um, after after the phone conversation, Arbogast goes back to the motel. Uh, yes, he didn't see Norman um, out there, so he uh, gets into the room where Marion was staying and looks around. Um, he doesn't find anything, but makes his way over to the Bates residence, uh, the house. Um, he slowly goes up to the stairs, and no, was it slow mo or was he just walking slow? He was just walking slow, from what I could tell. It just looked like okay. a, a very deliberate, a very deliberate shot as we kind of follow him all the way up the path, up the stairs, into the house. Yeah, then we get uh, a shot of the uh, of a door opening slowly, and then it's fun. Uh, do we get a panning shot of the top view? It, mm-hmm. it just kind of pans upwards, right? I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a security camera that's in yeah. the house. I think in my that, from my from what I saw. Oh, I I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make it sound as cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't have security cameras. No, you know, no, 50, yeah, but. But it's a it's a great shot because a you have to show uh, you have to show what's about to happen um, and not show any reveal about who who's doing it. Yeah. And you can't get away with the the way it was done before, you know, previously with the shower curtain kind of covering up the killer. Um, you know, you could go first person of you know the from the eyes of the killer. But I like that overhead shot when all of a sudden you just see the door open and here comes Mrs. Bates. Meeting, meeting our guy at the top of the stairs. Yeah, and, and it's, you, just, it's, you get the the eagle's eye of what's about to happen. Yeah, it's a really great shot, and it, it's just very good timing too. You know, um, as it reaches the very top view, that's when Mother comes out, and she she is walking briskly. Like the the movement alone was very intimidating. Um, and yeah, Arbogast kind of gets it. She uh, slashes him a few times in the face, and. He free falls quite a bit yeah. <laughs> from the from the top stairs. Um, it's that, that's the one scene in this movie that kind of uh, I don't know. It just makes me kind of laugh a little bit because he does he gets stabbed and and then there's a shot. It's like a dolly shot going down the stairs where the camera doesn't move, but he isn't really stumbling backwards down the stairs. It is like he's floating 
down the stairs. It, it looks it, really it's a it's a weird shot. Isn't he also flapping his arms like he's swimming? Kind of. It, it seems really strange. Like yeah, like he's trying to catch his balance, but you don't see he's not moving as though he's stumbling. It's a steady shot down the stairs. It just seems really weird. I don't know. Yeah, and, and and then it ends with uh mother going down to finish him off, yeah. which I thought it was yeah, that was pretty brutal. Um Sam arrives to the motel and calls for um Arbogast. Uh but we see Norman back at the swamp watching Arbogast's uh, car sinking. Uh, how deep do you think that swamp is? Well, at least five feet deep. <laughs> yeah, enough for two cars. <laughs> no, enough to get the cars in there. Stacked on top of each other. Um, we get a scene, uh, Lila and Sam, they go to see the sheriff, uh, um, and they tell him that uh, Arbogast is missing. And they uh, mention Norman's mother and also about Marion's disappearance and the $40,000. Uh, so at this point, the sheriff, he gives Norman a call and tells him that there's been some concern and asks if he'd, been, uh, if he'd seen a uh, private investigator come by. Uh, the sheriff gets off the phone and tells Sam and Lila Norman's mother has been dead for 10 years. So big reveal right there. That uh, that gave me the chills when I saw this scene. He calls another guy, though. He calls somebody he? because Well, because he gets all this information about it that, that Norman wouldn't give up about um, – because you do get a lot of exposition in the scene with the sheriff – yeah. Um, or he, you know, yeah, Mrs. Bates has been dead for 10 years. I was there. I, we buried her and he tells about how, um, she poisoned her husband and then committed suicide by using strychnine, you know, mm-hmm. and that it was always oh, a horrible scene. And Norman's the one who discovered them. Um, and it's, it's, you start to kind of, you know, if, if you know what you're doing, you start to put the pieces together going off of what he said earlier, but, um, it's like, well, wait, so she, she's dead and they're like well who's in that box you know who do we bury right yeah it was a really good scene a lot of a lot of um a lot of like you said exposition there and i think the sheriff's wife kind of even plays um plays norman you know like an innocent victim of you know witnessing the the the, you know the deaths and suicides and stuff like that so you know so they all think that he's a really good guy um phoenix do you have any thoughts on that on seeing Norm, um, then on um, on them seeing Norman as a good guy. Well, no, well, just uh, about the scene, you know, like uh, about finding out mother's been dead for ten years, as they say. And- that 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 was a creepy scene to me because it either made me think one of two things: one, either they did accidentally mix someone up and put the wrong person in the grave, or two, um, she's a zombie. Yeah, <laughs> a walker. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Norman, um, we see him just getting off the phone, and then he goes up to the house and tries to get Mother to leave her room uh, to go hide in the fruit cellar. This which is he, a creepy scene, man. Because we don't see anything at first. Mm-hmm. We get that same aerial shot uh, of the hallway. Well, especially and, coming off of what you just found out. That right. His mom died 10 years ago, and then you go straight to him. uh Trying to, to move mom. her to safety and a fight be- breaks out and she's yelling at him. And yeah, you get that, that great overhead shot again of him carrying her out. And it's like, well, but wait, I just found out something huge a minute ago. Like, I wonder if anyone, like when, when this first came out, if anyone's like, well, she's not moving at all, <laughs> you know, because yeah, she's completely still as he's bringing her down, uh, down the stairs. Uh, in the next scene, Sam and Lila, they uh, go to see the sheriff and his wife at the church. 
the older couple invite them over for dinner to fill out a report. Jameson, did this happen in the remake? Oh, my. I haven't seen the remake in a few years. I don't oh, remember. Okay. I, I don't remember the scene because when it happened in the original, I was like, wait, I don't remember that out, happening. Huh? It did, um, and I don't know. Maybe I just missed it, or or that's actually something they omitted. Um, so yeah, it's kind of. I don't know. Did you think the scene was? It was there any importance to the scene at all? It was kind of. It could have been deleted. It, it I seems, think. Yeah, it seems strange that you would revisit the sheriff again with just nothing, to fill out a report. Yeah, when you've already gotten the big. The big bombshell that he dropped, you you know, you used him for what you needed. It did seem a little redundant to go back to him again with he's not going to offer anything new. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I don't know if they ever ended up going. But uh, at this point, Sam and Lila, they go back to the Bates Motel posing as a married couple. Uh, they check in with Norman. And I think Norman and Sam grow suspicious of each other. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because, let me see, first, Norman, um, well, Sam had to ask for, for the book to, to sign in. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then Norman was going to take him to their room and go get their bags, but they had no bags. So uh, they're, they're both kind of like, you know, raising eyebrows at each other here. Uh, yeah, teams, go, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I was going to say, Norman's like all kinds of out of sorts. You know, I well... He's gotten the phone call. He, he's he's got these people here. He's like things are going on. I've I've got all these bodies stacking up, and you can tell he can tell that these two aren't what they're representing themselves to be. And you can tell that he's just all kinds. He's he's trying to to use his charm, you know, and, and everything. But you can this, this again. This darkness just hangs over him in his eyes and just in his demeanor. You know, when when the guy's like, hey, you know, when Lewis is like, uh, hey, yeah, you don't have any bags. He's like, oh, OK. It's like, well, that's strange. Most most everybody else would make me pay, you know, beforehand. A guy with no bags like, oh, yeah, OK, well, ten dollars, I guess you can tell he's he's not on his game right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's super weird because you know, if I were him, I'd be suspicious, too, because he told Marion earlier in the movie that uh, ever since what the, the freeway was built or whatever, yeah. um, people hadn't been coming by lately. So uh, if I were him, like anybody that pulls up, I would just kind of be suspicious with, you know, especially with you know, Arbogast, just, you know, him disposing of Arbogast as well. Right. Um, but Phoenix, did you have any thoughts on, on their exchange here? No, not really. It's just that um, you can definitely tell that Norman was starting to, you know, lose his cool and everything that too many people were showing up. Yeah. Uh, well, Lila heads out first. Um, she opens up cabin one and then proceeds to her room. Jameson, what did you think that was about? I, I didn't have any thoughts on that as to why she opened up the, the door to the first cabin. Yeah, it's because she wouldn't know that that's where to look. Right. You know, she has no... No, wait, maybe she does because Arbogast tells her he never actually says cabin one, but he says, like, this is where she was. In fact, I even know what room she was staying in because okay. because Norman had paused at room number one and then kept going. But he never says it, at least in the phone call that we see. He never says, like, room number one is where, where you know, where I think she was at. Yeah. It, it was it was kind of weird. It, it was kind of a head scratcher. without a key too, you know. Which is kind of yeah, <laughs> maybe he just doesn't lock up any of the rooms. Here's the key to cabin one. It's not locked, by the way. <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. Now, do you 
think okay there, there was a there was a certain way that Norman looked at Lila before she left the office but yeah he gave her a kind of a look uh, do you think that he was just suspicious about her or do you think that maybe he was thinking she looks kind of familiar I think it's a little bit of both I think it's because okay. they do have a, a, a similarity being sisters yeah I think that that helped play into his suspicion uh, you know kind of like well I, I, there, there was a very, a very strange look that he gives her of suspicion and kind of like, man, she looks a lot like the chick that was just here. Yeah. And a lot of people have been coming around, you know, and making phone calls asking lately, you know, it's been pretty quiet for the last couple of months. And now all of a sudden this, um, yeah. I think he, he kind of knew what was going on. Yeah. And now they're in their room and they decide to look around the cabins uh, probably because, you know, the first door was unlocked. So then maybe they assumed all of them were unlocked. Sure. Uh, they don't see Norman around and then they go inside cabin one. Um, and funny enough, Lila, she finds a piece of paper in the toilet, uh, someone subtracting from $40,000. Of all the little pieces of paper, <laughs> it's the one that has $40,000 written on it. Yeah, it'd be funny if it was just a seven hundred. She'd be like, "Well, well, this is nothing. This means nothing." <laughs> yeah. uh, they let's see. They decide Lila go to the house while Sam stays at the motel and uh, distracts Norman. Um, I I kind of forget like the details they were, were kind of working out, but I'd imagine you know that way. You know, Sam's a man, so maybe you know he can take on Norman should something happen. Right, that's probably yeah. Because he was assume. He, he didn't really want to split up because he's like, I don't trust you going up to that house by yourself, you know. And she was kind of well. This is where, as Phoenix says, she got a little pushy, you know. And she was like, Hey, look, we got to split up. All right, you got to run interference. I'm gonna go up and see what's going on in that house, you know. And he's like, All right, yeah. And it was kind of like, Well, if something goes down, at least you can can handle Norman. I can handle an old lady, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jameson, do you, do you you seen Frighteners? Oh, long, long time ago, yeah, yeah. Uh, Phoenix, what was that guy's name? Uh, da- Dammers, D- Dammers, Dammers, D- Dammers. Um, yeah, Dammers. the uh, the detective working on the case. I, I want to see like Norman, kind of like this, where he gets yelled at by a woman and freaks the hell out. You know, that's it's <laughs> a pretty funny uh, characteristic. Um, let's see, Lila, she gets to the house and starts looking around. And there's a point where she gets uh, startled by her own reflection. Yeah. Is that what she got startled by? Was her own reflection? Yes. Now, in the remake, I thought she got startled by seeing the indentation in the bed. Okay. Yeah, but she does In this one, she doesn't see the indentation until afterwards. After the reflection. So, see, now I kind of want to go back to see the remake to see if I missed it. But if it's the way I remember it. I think I don't know if Gus Van Sant got confused by that shot uh-huh. because watching the original, I was like, "Oh, she was clearly startled by her own reflection." Because then she walks over to the bed and sees that. Right. But I felt like in the remake, she got startled because she saw the bed. Hmm. Um, but I'll have to go back. It, it, it could be the mirrors. They were just maybe the the way the the mirrors were positioned in the remake. That could be it. Yep. But watching the original, I was like, "Wait, that's not you know that wasn't the reaction I got." Um, but that kind of startled me. Her. Her actually being startled. Sure. Um, what happened after this? Then she stumbled into Norman's room. Ah, Super yes. Super creepy. Ugh. Wow, right? You go in and now there's all these child's toys and weird things. And then you see a recently used 
cot just kind of stuffed into the corner where you were like, oh, this is where Norman sleeps. Like, this is creepy. Yeah, he's got some old stuffed animals around the room too. And yeah. The, the bed like, isn't is like, even it made. It looks like the room of an eight-year-old child. Now, do they show us like this, the song, um, the vinyl? I, I yes, don't know. the record player. You get to see. Yeah, you you see. He's got his little old phonograph with his Beethoven record on it. And oh, it was Beethoven. Yep. Okay, I I don't remember what it was, and I was gonna ask you if there was like a significance to like um you know what the, what the song was the or ABCs. It was ABCs. <laughs> oh, you're okay. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was like it was like Beethoven's third or something. But it was just yeah. I, I don't think it's any significance because this like they didn't use the music in the movie or anything like that. That's very interesting, though, too, for him to have a Beethoven vinyl. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. I would love to hear like the thoughts on that mm-hmm. to, you know, to to show that there. Uh, so this is when the uh, uh, Loomis is, you know, he he's running distractions, but he's also kind of he's also kind of uh, questioning Norman as well. He's kind of pushing the issue on Norman, and Norman gets a little upset, you know, and says, "Why don't you just pack up and get out of here?" Yeah. You know, why don't you just take your face and leave? Yeah. And I I think it finally occurs to him, too, that Lilo uh, wasn't there with Sam. Yeah. Where's that Uh, girl you came with? Yeah. And he questions Sam, you know, where she is and obviously uh, figures out that she, you know, maybe went up to the house. So they, you know, have a slight struggle and Norman knocks Sam out with like a small vase. Something? Yeah, something like, like that. Some yeah, yeah. ceramic pot or, yeah. or something. Yep. Um, but uh, from inside the house, we see uh, Lila. She sees Norman running up to the house through the window, and uh, she goes down towards the cellar to hide from him. Um, he gets inside and runs upstairs, and then Lila goes into the cellar. Now, if it were me, usually cellars don't have <laughs> a way another out. another way out. <laughs> Uh, so very interesting that that she does go uh, go down there deeper into the cellar. Yeah, um, she walks in and sees a woman sitting down with her back towards her. Mm. Uh, Lila calls out to her. I don't. Does she say Mrs. Bates yes. or something? Or yeah. okay, yeah. So it turns her around and it's her mummified corpse. Oh. Yeah, so uh, creepy. Yeah, Phoenix. What did you think of of this here? I've seen this before, before I watched this movie. Oh. So this part was spoiled. Okay. Oh, so you already kind of knew. Mm-hmm. You know, I I actually think I I forget. Um, I saw it on a cover box. I don't I don't think it's the one we have. Does the one we have, Phoenix? Does it have the the corpse on the back? I don't know. I'll go check later. I've I've might. seen that somewhere. So um so I've actually seen her, but it was still just as creepy. You know, watching it on the screen here. Um, Jameson, when was the first time you saw this movie? Oh, it was. Or how, how old were you? Actually? I was probably, man, probably ten. It was. Wow. It was sometime in the in the late eighties. I was about, I was probably ten, and um, yeah, this scene freaked me out. You know, and and, yeah. and as as many times as I've watched this and and. and gone through studies of of this movie and all this stuff it's still the the reveal at the end of this at this scene is so great because you you get her she swings around and and um what's her name lila you know screams and she ends up hitting the the lone light bulb so you have this one single light bulb swinging back and forth you get the mummy 
almost almost shaking like to scare you like ah you know and then the the, the music hits and oh it's just it's such a great scene i i think see and uh, again it's just you know brilliance of alfred hitchcock the you know it being black and white i don't think and, and we've seen it not work <laughs> yeah. you know it, it i just feel like yeah if it was in color we may not get that same effect you know because it, it's just something being uh you know shades of black and you know the like you said the lighting swinging back and forth you know kind of casting shadows on, on, the, on the you know on the corpse it is definitely very you know disturbing you know i mean yeah. for lack of a better word but in in the remake i didn't get that same effect i was creeped out by the image but the light flashing, it being colored, it I, I didn't get that same effect. So I was even more disturbed by this uh, in the original. Well, so, and, then, and then this scene from, from here out is where they made the big change, where Gus Van Sant decided I'm going to break away from what Hitchcock did and do my own thing. Yeah. You know, and completely change the ending then. Uh, as far as like, uh, like when Sam comes in to rescue. Right. Like, because, you know, yeah. she lets out the scream that lets Norman know where she is. And right. all of a sudden, you know, and like I say, all of a sudden the door bursts open and you get the great music that strings that eat, 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 you know, and, right. and here comes Norman some in drag. deranged guy in Ooh. drag with the big old knife and he's coming at her. And, you know, it, in, th in this version, you know, Sam comes in to save the day, takes Norman down, knocks his wig off because it's still, it's hard, you know, you know who it is, but it's hard to tell at first. And he knocks him down and he's prying the knife from his hand and the wig comes off and you see Norman just give up, you know, like, Oh, what? it's that, really weird. And in the, the remake, what happens? Uh, Lila, um, takes him down. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, I got the look on Norman's face when we see him in the drag too. He just looks so deranged. Yes. Um, it's really creepy, and and again, I just want to reiterate that uh, I think Anthony Perkins did a hell of a job, you know, in this role. He really, you know, took it to the next level. I don't know. I I just I can't explain it, but um, just that look on his face uh, was really creepy. I the way we see him now, um, the wig, you, you know, with 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 it, you know, kind of in a ponytail versus the remake, it was kind of a shaggy, I don't know, sandy blonde. You know, hair color, just yeah. From the hair, the difference in the hair color, I, I, I think in the original was a lot creepier, and also on the dress. Yeah. In the remake, because it's color, it's you know the dress is a little bit colorful, so it actually kind of comes off a little comical because you're seeing Vince Vaughn in drag. Right. You know, yeah. See, Phoenix just chuckled. <laughs> There's the, the side of it, and Phoenix, whatever you imagine, that's probably exactly the way it looks on on screen. Uh, but Anthony Perkins in uh, a much darker dress, in in a different type of wig, and with that expression on his face, gosh, it, it's just a, it's a very creepy look. But uh, yeah, Sam takes him down um, in this one. Lila takes him down because she's a little bit more more harder, right? Uh, a little bit tougher uh, in in the remake. Um, and and Van Sant wanted to he wanted to make it not seem like. His female needed a man's help. So he says, we got to change it. Times are different now. Women are empowered. They don't need a man to always save them. So we're going to have Lila do it. That and I want to, you know, I want to change it because audience knows what the end is going to be. So I'm going to change it up and break from my shot for shot remake and put my own ending on it. Which he 
kind of did in, in some of the things, you know, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll kind of get into some of those, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, go, go with the original on, on that ending. I, it, I, I get what he was thinking about, but like, dude, you said you're going to do a shot by shot remake. You know, why, why change it? I, I don't think it did anything to, to be honest, to have Julianne Moore be the, uh, the more empowering, uh, person in, in that scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But also like Vince Vaughn is a much bigger guy, yeah. you know, compared to, uh, Anthony Perkins. So, um, I don't know. I, I just felt, and, and I, I feel a little, um, what was the word when I'm kind of, <laughs> not misogynistic is it is perhaps misogynistic well (laughs) let let me tell you the context here like um, phoenix knows you better than i do yeah apparently (laughs) (laughs) well it's just uh, i don't know i i felt yeah i i don't think julianne moore can can take vince vaughn you know flat out so is that the right word yeah no i I don't know if it is i mean if it's it's not really misogynistic i mean it's just kind of it, it doesn't seem I don't know. It doesn't seem real. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how to put it. But yeah, yeah. Vince Vaughn's a big dude. Yeah, you know, he's he's a big cat, and you know, Julianne Moore just takes him down. And, yeah, and he is in. And this is a guy who is a you find out is a serial killer. This guy has taken down big guys. He just took down you know a dude earlier in the day. You know, it's like it, it seems a little strange to decide. Well, we're gonna have her do it. Yeah. Uh, so after this scene, we, where, where are we at? Are we at a police station? Yeah, or? Now we're, now we're in the, uh. Oh, right. Cause he's in a jail cell. Yes. Or, or a room, I guess. We're, we're at like either the, the mental ward or, or the police precinct, something along those lines. He's locked up. Right. Um, and then we get, uh, you know, basically the, a scene with the doctor explaining everything. Right. Um, which th- that's actually all I wrote. I didn't write the details of no. what he said, but it just gives your whole exp- exposition about Norman and half of it is what we, if you paid attention, you should know, but he's explaining it to the dumb cops and everything, you know, like, well, this is what happens, you know, it explains the split personality disorder where Norman is no longer Norman. Your mother has taken over his personality. Yeah, and apparently uh, she comes out when um, you know she she I, I guess she's basically like the jealous type or whatever. And when uh, Marion came around, that's when Mother came out because she felt a little threatened by her. Right. Um, but uh, I, I guess the, um, another big thing with the remake, they shortened right the the exposition here at the yeah. end. Which I, I, were people upset about that? Or um, yeah, they were actually. And okay, it, it, it's kind of funny because I actually of all the things that he changes. If you're going to make a change, I don't mind you shortening this up because it, it a lot of it is repetitious. Um, you know, you explain this, the split personality disorder and that's fine. Uh, but the, uh, the psychiatrist in this movie basically has enough time to smoke an entire cigarette, you know, as, he, <laughs> as he's talking. And so I, if you're going to change, then that this is a spot that I wouldn't mind, you know. Um, I forgot how how Lila reacted when, uh, when it was confirmed that Marion was dead. Well, because the psychiatrist was kind of a jerk about it. She's like, so my sister, and he's like, so my sister is, and he goes, yes and no. And she's like, she doesn't even have time to respond to it. Like, what is that supposed to mean? Are you setting up, you know, a defense for insanity? And he goes on. And meanwhile, she's left over there hanging, you know, they finish their little jibber jabber. And she's like, so wait, is my sister dead? He's like, oh, yes, he killed her. It was like, (laughs) yeah, she asks, it's like, well, is she dead? Yes and no. 
Or no, she says, did he kill her? Well, yes and no. You know, like, just give me the answer, dude. I don't care about the yeah. other stuff right now. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I, I, I thought it was pretty good. Now, wasn't it the judge that was like, oh, he's a transvestite? Or... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't remember if that was a thing in the remake either. But um, hmm. no, I, th- I thought it was funny because I, I didn't think that was even a thing back in the 60s. Right. Uh, but yeah. I, I read about that, and and apparently the censors tried killing that because they didn't know what a transvestite was. Okay, and they made Hitchcock get an expert in and prove that it was an actual thing, and it wasn't just some sexual term; that it was a <laughs> clinical term. And then they let him keep it in. He's like, "No, it's actually a it's actually a thing. It's not like some cra- crazy bondage setup thing or anything like that." And they're like, "Oh, it's a thing. Okay, you can use it then." Yeah. So it must have been the early days of the use of that word. Um, no, Phoenix, what did you think about the entire ending of this movie? The entire ending felt kind of rushed, but I did like that scene where Mother is talking in Norman's head. Oh, right. Yeah, we forgot That's about this. Norman's cool. Yeah. He's a blankie. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I um, when, when the cop came in to ask for permission, I was like, why don't they show Lila – Thinking like, wait, wait, you're gonna go give this guy a blanket? He just killed my Screw my sister. Him, yeah. Let him freeze. Yeah. So I, I thought that was funny, but um, you know, it, it's a it's a good dialogue, right? It, it a fly comes in, kind of lands on Norman, and what does mother say? She she's saying like she's gonna show these people that, that uh, she, she yeah she wouldn't even hurt a fly or something. So so you get. What is one of the one of the great things, right? The last thing you see in this movie before credits roll is as he's looking down at the fly, Norman kind of looks up at camera a little bit and then it, it starts to fade to black. You see the superimposed picture of the skeleton over his face. Right. Which is one of the one of the things I learned in film class how to do right away. They we were showing that, like, oh I've never I've seen the movie a few times. I'd never noticed that before. Yeah, I for, uh, I keep forgetting to look. Um, I, I guess I've uh, I might have noticed it recently. It, yeah, um, I mean it's split second where I'll, as it fades, you see uh, the 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 skeleton face superimposed over his for two frames. Yeah, yeah and then the very uh, last scene, they're they're pulling out. Uh, I'm assuming was it Arbogast's car? Or was it Marion's car? Uh, one of them. Yeah, yeah one of them. Marion's yeah. car. I don't know. The money's in there. Somebody they they're pulling it out because you know the psychiatrist told them, "Hey, the forty grand is in a swamp somewhere. Drag that. You can find some bodies and probably forty grand." Yeah, <laughs> get get into that trunk. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, Phoenix, did you have any questions for Jameson about the movie? Mm, other than that license plate thing, nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Jameson, you want to go over some of the differences of the remake? Um, oh, I think we kind of did, right? I mean, my. My thoughts on the remake are that so I don't mind the the thought process behind Gus Van Zandt wanting to do it. I mean, it's ridiculous because you're not going to make it better than Hitchcock made it, right? Oh yeah. I mean, at best, perfect scenario, you make the same movie as Hitchcock made. What's the point of that? Right. But it it, it just it, it was an interesting concept to be like a, almost a social experiment. Can I make the movie? And I, for me, I I think it proved that you can do the exact same shots. 
you can put the people in the exact same, the cameras in the same places, the same dialogue, everything. And it doesn't mean that you can reproduce what Hitchcock did. I, I think it proves a couple of things that Anthony Perkins was incredible in his role. And that mm-hmm. that his subtleties in acting were hard to duplicate. And just because you can reproduce the shots doesn't mean you can reproduce the feel. Right. You know, it's kind of like my son is, is a, a pretty good trumpet player and mm-hmm. he's trying to teach me for different things, how to play the trumpet for, to join this, you know, parent kid band. And mm-hmm. he can get me to play the notes but I can't play the music. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this is, is Gus Van Zandt proved that he can play the notes, every note, you know, I can do it. I can set the camera the same way he did it. But in the end, it doesn't have the feel. It doesn't have that it quality to it. And then when you go and you, your thesis statement is I'm going to try this experiment, then you can't make changes to it. Right. You're going to betray your whole thesis when you say, I'm going to see if this works. And then, but when the, but it get, when it gets really tough, I'm going to make a couple of changes, <laughs> add my own panache to it. You know, I, I don't dig it. Yeah, I felt like some of the dialogue in the remake, too, probably could have been, um, you know, updated a little bit, too, mm-hmm. because, you know, right off the bat, I mean, like in the original, they show the, uh, the date, you know, it, it's it's present time. And uh, as as well as the, the remake, present time was 1998. And I just felt like a lot of dialogue was obviously um, outdated. Yeah. Um, and even, I don't know, I guess some of the clothing they tried to update, but some of it didn't work out. <laughs> now, why do you think they gave Julianne more? a walkman <laughs> I, I don't know it's it, it's kind of funny because now it really dates that movie too it does uh, you know it's kind of funny they they, they do that I, I don't know it's so it, it's he made some weird choices and the thing is is the 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 universe of psycho outside of this movie is actually pretty big i mean you you have psycho 2 and psycho 3 that came out in the 80s uh-huh. And uh, with mixed results, Anthony Perkins came back for both of them because he found out that he w- he had been typecast as Norman Bates and was having uh-huh. a hard time finding other work. So he comes back for Psycho 2. That was actually pretty decent, pretty decent story. Psycho 3 was awful. And then you, uh, you know, as we've been saying, there's Bates Motel. There's good and bad ways of delving back into this universe. And it just seemed weird to try and do it the way Van Sant did it. Yeah, it and just back on the Walkman real quick. Um, I I think I want to say in the remake, like they even make it a point for her to mention. Oh, I, no, let me grab my Walkman first. <laughs> yeah, it's like they even did that. Well, product placement. Yeah, oh, gosh. let me grab my Sony um, Walkman. Uh, what do you think about William H Macy as a private investigator? I thought he was great. I, he was my favorite part about the remake. I loved him. I thought uh, he was I, the one actor in the entire movie. That was perfect for his role. Yeah, I am in my uh, episode of the of the remake. I mentioned that uh, Van Zant probably was like, "Hey, I like this guy from Pleasantville. Let's stick him in my movie." He's, so, uh, he's such a great actor. He's just a chameleon and, and plays kind of just a regular guy so well. Um, I love William H Macy, and, and yeah, he's he's great. And he he's one of those guys. He he just kind of has a timeless look and feel to him. Where I could have seen him in the original. Yeah, you know, if he was around back then, he would have fit in perfect. Then, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, and then let's see who else. James Remar was the, was the cop. Yeah, uh, that was like almost identical. Yeah, I mean, much. Da- da- <laughs> down to the voice. I mean, uh, James Remar has got a very distinctive 
look and sound, you know. So I, I thought that's really funny watching the original. I was like, wow, this guy's just like Jane Fremar. Because like, you know, some of the casting, they're, they're, they're not quite, you know, uh, close at all, uh, right. really. Um, who else do we have? Uh, Julianne Moore, did you like her casting as, as Lila? Not especially. I didn't either. Um, I really, I, I, the three leads, I didn't. I didn't like. I didn't think Janet. I didn't think uh, Anne Hish was anything. I, I could have picked a dozen other actresses over her for. Oh yeah. For the Janet Lee part, and I thought Vince Vaughn. As much as I like Vince Vaughn, uh, he's he just wasn't right for it. Like uh, 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 a Joaquin Phoenix would have been perfect if you're going to do it, because he's got I, that kind of creep factor to him. Was wasn't he maybe rumored to be? I want to. I want to say he was that. Maybe he was rumored to be, um, um, you know, casted as that. Uh, I, you know, one of the many names. I could. Yeah. I mean, I could have seen him. Um, there's just something about Vince Vaughn. He's a little too likable. He's he, the thing with with um, Vince Vaughn versus Anthony Perkins was Anthony Perkins as he's playing Norman Bates. He would end a lot of scenes with a little nervous laugh that you could tell was like just an uncontrollable tick that he had, uh-huh. especially when he got pressed by. Uh, by the cops and by other people, he would he had this nervous tick of a little laugh at the end. In the remake, Vince Vaughn would let out his Vince Vaughn laugh. Yeah, and it seemed like he's having too much fun. Right, like, it just seemed weird. It was like, why is the guy from Swingers? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, and I like him. I think he plays Dark really well. If you've ever seen um, Clay Pigeons movie, with another Vince Vaughn, right? He plays Dark pretty well, and so. He can do it. It just seemed in this, his little ticks didn't line up. Yeah. And another thing is, like I mentioned earlier, he's a bigger guy. Yeah. You know, Uh, one of the names I remember reading that I thought could have done really good and just based on looks alone was, uh, um, was it Robert Sean Leonard from House? Oh, yeah, like I, I think you know, because he can play Mama Boy, Mama's Boy. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think that would would have been an interesting cast right there. The movie, I think, could have been a lot different. Um, but let me see. And then, and the one thing that that really bugged me uh, in the remake was that when we see Mother turned around, and then you get that spider crawl across her face. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because I was actually expecting that in the original, and I didn't. It didn't happen. I'm like, okay, well, good, because I didn't like that in the remake. Because <laughs> I was like, well, okay, I get it's a corpse, but in the remake, they um, made the 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 seller basically. It, it looked like that's that's where um, Norman did his taxidermy stuff. Sure, yep. You know, so and and you would think that you know things are kind of sanitized and clean down there. Maybe I, I I've never been in one, so I, I that's just what I would think. So where does the spider come from? It, it just kind of like opened up questions, Seems you know. Really it, convenient for, uh, <laughs> for it to be crawling across her face at that time. Yeah, yeah. So so, so that's basically it. Uh, Phoenix, well, um, what rating would you give this movie? Out of five, I would give this movie a four and a quarter. I really like this movie, but I felt like at times it sort of got boring, but I, it definitely kept me at the edge of my, so to speak, seat. Okay. Um, did Were there any things that you didn't like or wish they could have been done a little bit differently? Mm, no, not really. I think everything was done on point and pretty much well done. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, it, it's no secret that I, you know, 
I don't know. I've been speaking highly of this movie this entire episode. Um, I think uh, Alfred Hitchcock did an amazing job on this movie. Um, you know, I kind of went back to talking about him deciding to go with the black and white and some of the the choices he made in the, in the shot. I love that shot of the the aerial shot when Mother comes out of the room. That, that's got to be one of my favorite shots in the entire movie. Uh, Anthony Perkins, I, I, I think he just does um, an amazing job as Norman Bates. And, you know, even more so because after watching Vince Vaughn trying it, you know, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I, I, I was even blown away more by Anthony Perkins' uh, portrayal. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm going to give this movie a five. It's uh, I think it's, you know, a perfect movie. I, I have no problems with it at all whatsoever. Um the only and and this is not even a, a nitpick, but it, it kind of yeah, it really threw me off. And and I, I'm sure this was the purpose of it, but like when Marion heard um, uh, Norman and his mom fighting, mm-hmm. you know, from the window, you, we we hear mother's voice. But I guess that kind yeah, I guess it is a bit of a nitpick because but but how else do you do it? You you know you, you have to hear a female's voice. Right. And, you know, otherwise you'd be hearing Norman. Um, you know, pretending to be a woman, which I don't know, maybe he could pull it off that kind of thing. And I know that's a choice by Alfred Hitchcock to be like, well, you know, obviously we don't want people to know that it's, uh, you know, like a manly voice, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah. Perfect, perfect, uh, perfect movie. Five stars for me. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I obviously, I love this movie. Um, what, what's interesting is I wish I could have been around when this movie came out. Um, because if you've ever heard anything about all the PR that he did with this movie, but it's kind of like the only thing I can compare it to nowadays was if you remember all the stuff that surrounded the Blair Witch project Mm -hmm. and in the early days of the internet and how they used that to make people believe that that the Blair Witch was real and that there was an actual documentary and the way they built this hype around this movie and Hitchcock did that really for the first time in Hollywood with this movie where he, he ran this masterful campaign to kind of build a fervor and this heightened fear where he would, he made every theater owner know that no one can be let in. The, the minute the movie starts, no one else can be let in. Cause he didn't want anyone walking. Everyone knew Janet Lee was a star. He didn't want anyone walking in 20 minutes in and she's already dead, mm-hmm. you know? And, and he let people know that, you know, if you're, he was the first one to do the old, uh, you know, if you're a pregnant woman, uh, you know, I don't know if you can see this. We'll have medical staff on duty at all times for the, for people who can't handle this. And, um, he built this whole campaign to uh, where the cast didn't even know the reveal in this movie. You know, he would have a set, a chair on set that said Mrs. Bates and he put out leads, put out little rumors about who he had cast to play mother so that nobody would know what was going on. And he just, it had built this big fervor about it. And that's why of all of his movies that he did, this is the one that made the most money for him at the box office. This was the one that just blew up who Alfred Hitchcock was. And so I wish, I mean, it's, it's pretty stupendous that the movie itself still holds up all these years later. It wasn't just built on hype, mm-hmm. you know, because that's really what, what got people into the theaters back in 1960. So um, I just think that's pretty interesting. Uh, looking back to that, but um, for, for score, I give this, I, I obviously give this five stars. I think it's just, it's, it's an incredible movie. It's an incredible yeah. piece of filmmaking. 
Yeah, we, we actually, uh, we both, uh, we watched this last weekend, I think it was. But yeah, we both, uh, me and Phoenix mentioned that we wanted to watch it uh, again prior to the recording, but we just, we just couldn't, um, fit in an, another viewing. But if, if we did, that would have been the first movie on our show that, uh, where it was the first movie or our first viewing for us that we wanted to watch again before the recording. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, uh, how did you, um, watch it for this viewing? Did you, um, uh, do, I got the, you uh, own it or? Yeah, I've, I have the, uh, Blu-ray copy of it that, uh, has a ton of stuff on it, but the Blu-ray transfer is just gorgeous. Yeah, that's actually the one I just picked up um, uh, at Best Buy last week. Um, uh, luckily, it was I, th- I think I got it for like eight ninety nine. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a great deal. It was on sale, so I was like, uh, I went specifically to there looking for it. Um, wow. Cause, yeah, I, I I actually thought that I was gonna find it on DVD for like ten bucks. But I found the Blu-ray. I was like eight ninety nine. That's a steal, you know. Oh, I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd pay fifteen bucks for Blu-ray. I didn't even know it was on Blu-ray. So uh, I think Phoenix saw a little bit of the features, but it's something I definitely want to check out. Um, one of the segments that we we try to do it's a work in progress, and I don't know if we're really good at it, but we try to do a thing, um, you know, basically uh, thoughts on what happens after the movie. Mm. Uh, Phoenix, did you have any thoughts on what happens after? I haven't contemplated too much about this movie so far, but maybe uh, after this movie, Norman gets psychiatric help in the hospital. Mm, ah, I don't really know. Uh, I didn't give this too much thought. You're on the right track, my man. Yeah, I I obviously have not seen um, any of the sequels, and there's two sequels? Yes, there are. Okay. Um, I think he, he maybe he gets released on good behavior. I don't know. But I thought that it might be kind of cool if, um, you know, maybe the doctor, right, who seems to know about Norman and his condition, um, what if he went on to uh, write a book about the events surrounding, you know, the, the Bates Motel? And uh, Norman gets out on good behavior and it's like, you know, you're kind of, uh, what's the word? It's ex- exposing you know, me, making my, money off my name. Yeah, that kind of thing. And then he goes on to kill everyone involved in the this, production of this book. This yeah. is really interesting, all right? Because I, I I don't know if you know this at all, but so you're both on on the the path of what was used. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is kind of interesting. So, um, in the original for for Psycho Two, which came out I think in eighty four, eighty three. Um, wow. 24 years later? Yeah, yeah, a wow. lot later. Um, in Psycho 2, the original storyline was going to have Norman getting out on good behavior. It, 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 both of the movies were the same. The one that ended up happening was he he gets treated. They treat his disorder, disorder for 20-some years. He has good behavior, and due to budget cuts, quote-unquote, within the system, they decide to let him out. No electronic bracelet, no uh, probation officer coming in to check on you. You're on your own, buddy. And he, um, in the original script, um, there was uh, a writer who was who was making a, a director who was making a movie about him. Just like this movie was based on the real killer, Ed Gein. Most of this right. was based on him, uh, Wisconsin's own. And um, oh, I didn't know this from Wisconsin. Oh yeah, he's he's from Plainfield, Wisconsin. Yeah, um, I, I saw the C movie based on that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, terrible movie. Yeah. But, but anyways, so in the script, it was going to be where he goes in and tracks this guy down. Like, hey, you're not going to be profiting off of me. 
exploiting me. I think that's the word you're looking. Um, yes. You're not going to be exploiting me. And Ed goes back to work. They end up scrapping that. And instead he gets out, he goes back to the hotel. Um, he moves back into the house and opens up the motel again. And he meets this girl played by Meg Tilly. And she comes to live at the house with him as a roommate. Like I need a roommate now. And, uh, and he kind of business picks up as usual again. And Norman starts killing again. And, uh, it's actually not bad. It's not, it's an interesting concept and, uh, it's, it's not bad. And actually, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Vera miles is back. Oh, wow. As Lila. Um, it's, it's, it's not terrible. So you guys are actually, you know, Dennis Franz is in it. Um, just it's a weird cast, but yeah, we they had reuse, no. They reuse the original set and everything, so it looks close. Obviously, it doesn't. It's nowhere near the original. I mean, this is a B movie, and it was right. They were going to make it with or without Anthony Perkins. It was going to be a made-for-TV movie, and then he finally signed on to do it. And they're like, okay, we'll make a real movie then. And then he got the rights to Psycho not long after this. And he directed Psycho 3 himself, which I believe was made for TV. Because I remember watching on TV as a kid. And that was terrible. Oh, geez. That was a terrible, terrible movie. And he realized, he even admits, like, yeah, I I don't know what I'm doing directing. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, not good. Yeah, I think that's funny because, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I did not look up anything about the sequels or anything like that so that's that's actually pretty interesting that we were kind of i don't know uh uh on that on that track yeah. but i think um what i came up with is from you know years of watching you know uh you know, scream <laughs> uh a new nightmare you know things like that right. which it's it's kind of you know maybe the, it stems from the cycle series you know who knows but uh what, what Scream Four was basically the the that was the premise, wasn't it? You know, Well, Scream Three was the one where they went to Hollywood, right? Yes. Oh, okay. So, so, okay. So, yeah, it, it kind of aligns like that. So that's kind of where I got some of my ideas from. So um, that's kind of yeah, yeah, interesting. I, I I'm actually kind of interested in checking out two now. Uh, and you know, and usually you don't want to judge a book by its cover, but I saw the cover for two. And I was like, yeah, doesn't look interesting. Yeah. But uh, if 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 you're saying you know it, it's interesting, I, I think I'll, I'll check that out. If you yeah, I mean if you don't expect it to be anything like this one, um, but just kind of take it on its own and knowing the characters, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a it, it's an enjoyable movie. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've seen worse. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guarantee it. it. it, it I you know what's funny is I think on IMDb it even gives Psycho Two a bigger higher rating than the remake. Um, so I so would maybe. I would give to a better <laughs> than <the remake laughs> myself. Yeah, I, I I really don't think it's is that bad. But um, you know, that's only because I've only watched both of these, you know, in, in the past month. Uh, so so it's not really like near and dear to my heart. You know, I uh, definitely appreciate the original Psycho and watching the remake. I was like, okay, I can see why it gets you know the hate that it does. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, that you watched it in the order that you watched it because. There's not a lot of people that would have watched the the you know the, the remake before the original. Uh-huh. I think it's an interesting uh, um, perspective to have on it. 
Because yeah, it's an I, honest perspective. It, you don't have any ties to the material. Yeah. You're just watching I, it as the movie. I and and I purposely did it that way because, like, okay, well, it, it's bad, right? So, you, you know, what if if I watched the original first and was blown away by it, you know, and then watched the remake, I'm gonna like, yeah, I, I'm gonna get disinterested and and maybe not give it a fair shot. Yep. You know, and and, and that's why I kind of went in um, with the remake first. It's like, okay, well, I, I don't know anything about the movie, so I'm I'm actually gonna focus. I'm gonna just listen to the dialogue and not get disinterested. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I was giving it, it its fair uh, watch, and then watching the original, I was like, okay, well, um, knowing what I know about the remake, it, what whatever I think the original is going to do better is going to make me appreciate the movie that much more too. Sure. Um, so I, I I think I don't know I I I just can't imagine watching it the, in chronological order. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that basically wraps up our review. Again, I want to thank you for coming onto the show and staying up, uh, as late as you are. Uh, but, uh, can you tell our listener how they can get a hold of you or find you? Um, sure. Uh, you can, uh, find me on Facebook, um, a- any of the shows, Movie Mojo Monthly, uh, Real Films Podcast, or, uh, Real Reviews TV. You can also find it on, on Twitter at Mojo Monthly, at Real Films Cast, at Real Films TV. Too many things, but um, yeah, just go go on there and uh, check it out. Everything's on iTunes or, or um, on those pages. There's links to each other, so find one of them and you can find all of them. But. Yeah, I, I definitely want to recommend uh, the Real Films Podcast. I, I really enjoy that one because uh, you know, listening to you guys, you and Jason, it, it, def- it made me watch some things that are just nuts you know you guys don't just choose any kind of um uh, documentaries documentaries to review you guys are very calculated in your selection yes you know like like the one with uh was it crazy love yes crazy yeah love, yep. oh my goodness yeah i wrote in on that one but that, that's just that was just a nut uh you know a really interesting story and i i don't think nobody would ever watch that you know uh, and so that's why I, I encourage people to definitely check out your show because of your guys' uh, recommendations so um i re- yeah i really appreciate that and that that's kind of why why we created it because there's there's a, a, a he and i both have a shared love for documentaries and think that they get a you know they get a bad knock for being boring and and whatever and there's a lot of great ones out there and so we saw this hole in the market where nobody's talking about these documentaries let's let people know that there's some really interesting ones that that a lot of times truth is way stranger than fiction and uh, you know when you find out that this really happened it's it's insane and uh so yeah it's it's a good time we have a we have a new episode coming out shortly that is uh, uh about the movie best worst movie and uh that's it was a it's a really good time so is is that going to be uh, like a double episode with Trolls Two? Um, we, we Jason had issues watching Troll Two, so we don't get a full review of it, but we talk about it plenty. Oh, okay, um, yeah, it's it's a really it's a really it was a really fun episode that we got into. So, um, yeah, yeah, go check it out. I, I appreciate your recommendation; that means a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a great concept. Um, I myself, you know, have plenty of documentaries in in my queue, and if I can just listen to you guys, I'd be like, okay, well, that I don't need to listen to because you guys also give your little um, like, oh, this is what I watch. Don't watch this kind of right. thing at the end too. So that's that's really awesome. Um, but for our 
listener, you know, one person here, uh, you can, you know, obviously subscribe to iTunes, uh, rate and review that, you know, that's definitely going to help out the show. Uh, you can email in at hlfpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagrams at hlfpodcast. Uh, Jameson, since you're a guest, do you want to choose the, the music to uh, end the episode with? Oh, my. That's a, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I don't know. What, what do we have? Uh, well, we could do the original theme. I can maybe um, play uh, the, the the little bit of the, the shower scene music. I don't know if that's even different from the theme. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's all the same. It's all just instrumental instrumental string music. Yeah, because in the remake episode, um, the guest chose the Danny Elfman version of the theme. Yeah, that's right. Danny Elfman did the, re- did the Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, throw the original theme in, right? You're talking about the original movie. Yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, no problems with that. Okay, well, until the next episode, I'm Peter. I'm Phoenix. He's Jameson, and this is Hydrate Level 4. Hydrate Level 4.